Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. Last week, we began this series called The Parables. Uh, and what we're doing is going through these things in the Bible called The Parables. So we're, we're moving through these things called The Parables. And last week, we looked at this question. Why does Jesus teach in parables? And uh, cool enough, Jesus actually answers that question. He actually tells his disciples what the purpose is behind him teaching in parables. And if we could just boil it down, the purpose of parables is really uh, three things. That Generally, parables tell you one of, or if not all three of these things. Uh, what the kingdom is like, what the king is like, or how we ought to live in the kingdom. The kingdom being where God is. What the kingdom's like, what the king is like, and how we ought to live inside of that kingdom. Generally, parables teach one of those three things, if not all of those Three things and parables are really this. It's 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 this it's this purpose to use familiar things. To teach about unfamiliar things that Jesus is going to use a simple idea in a familiar way that people understand to teach about a really complex idea that people don't understand yet. And so he's trying to teach them. He's trying to help them. He's trying to illustrate for them. And so this week, we're actually going to jump into one of the parables that Jesus teaches and move through this together. And what I hope actually happens as we move through it is I can give you some tips and some questions along the way that when you go and you read the Bible and you come across a parable, that you'll know how to read it and you know how to understand what it says. Because we're not going through every parable in the Bible. We, we're not going to do that. We're going to go through three of them. Not tonight, but throughout this, throughout this series. And I hope that, that, you'd spring, that would springboard you into a into a time in the word where you would read through the parables and, and look and say, what does this say and how do I apply it? And hopefully what we do tonight will help you do that. But before we jump into Matthew 13, verse 1, everybody has this friend. Everybody has the friend that says they can do far more than they can, right? Like they're just like, I, dude, I can totally dunk or I can totally run a 4-3 or I can totally get straight A's or I can totally whatever. Maybe you're that friend. If you're thinking, I don't have one of those friends, you're probably that friend. You're probably that friend. Right. But it's the person that ta- they, their, their talk is bigger than their walk. It's that kind of reality. Right. Like they talk a big game, but they don't live a big game. It's that kind of thing. And you know this. Right. You know this because when they start to say stuff, this is how you respond to them. They say, oh, I can totally do fill in the blank. And you respond with this. Prove it. Prove it. Right. You say prove it. And why do you why do you say prove it? Because here's the deal. You say prove it because it's easy to talk. It's different to do it. It's easy to talk a big game. It's different to have to back it up, right? It's different to say, it's, it's one thing to say, I can do all of these things. It's different when your friends get up in your face and say, okay, if you can do that, why don't you just go ahead and prove it? And you say prove it because you know actions tell the real story. It's not, they can talk all day long, but really actions will tell the truth. And I tell you that to tell you this, is that that same reality is true in life with Jesus. That we can talk a big game all day long, but actions will reveal the truth. In fact, the way that you live will tell on you. Your actions will tell on you. They will tell what you're devoted to and what you're not. They will tell what you're after and what you're not. They will tell whether you're following Jesus or not. And I tell you that because that's what Jesus is going to do here in Matthew chapter 13 with this parable. He's going to speak to these people, this parable as a means to describe, here's what it's like when people hear my words. That some people hear it and they think they're all about it, but really their actions tell them down the road what they're really after and what they're really devoted to. So let's jump into this parable, Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1. I'll read through verse 9. That same day, Jesus went went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the bench. 
chill on the beach. And he told them, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. And other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So this is a general form of a parable. This is like, if, if we're looking at how our power parable is structured, this is generally how Jesus is going to do it. And this is called what is famously known as the parable of the sower. And so what I want to do is just move through this and ask a handful of questions that hopefully you can ask when you approach parables in the Bible elsewhere, right? So let's do this. Let's answer this first question is, what do you see? What do you see? So how do we answer the question of what do you see is maybe you can ask a handful of questions like who, where, what. You don't have to answer all of these questions, but those are general, like those are good places to start. So when we're asking the question, what do you see? Let's answer the question of who, who is a part of this parable. The first person that you see is who? Who do you see? The sower. That's right. You see the sower. So a sower went out to sow. Okay, so we don't know who the sower is, but we know he's a part of this parable. That's important for us to know. We should put it in our brain. Who is a part of this? The sower. A sower went out to sow. Okay, we don't see any other characters, but maybe we need to know where the sower is. A sower went out to sow where? Yeah, in the field. That's right. The sower went out to sow in the, the field. And what it, it starts to describe something about that field. It says in that field that there are different kinds of what? Soil. Okay, we're nailing this so far, right? So, yeah. (laughs) No, Caitlin is crushing this. Let's just be clear. These are all really good questions to answer because those are all important pieces of the parable. Right. So when let's just say that you're sitting down by yourself at your house in the morning, opening the scriptures, saying, God, I want to hear your voice through the scriptures. But sometimes I, I, I open it and I have no clue what you just said. This is hopefully a tool in your tool belt to help you. Who is a part of this? What is going on? Where is this happening? There's a sower. He's in a field and there's different kinds of soil that matters. Those are good observations, right? So as we move, we're going to have to figure out what it is that those actually mean, because right, like I said, Jesus is using a simple idea to illustrate a complex reality. So they're just pictures of something. But we'll get to that in just a minute. So you ask the first question, what do you see? And the second question you need to ask when you approach a parable is what does it say about the kingdom? The second question you need to ask about This parable is, what does it say about the kingdom? And really, you need to ask that question with every parable. What does it say about the kingdom? Because we said, all parables say something about what the kingdom is like, what the king is like, and how we ought to live inside of that kingdom. It's going to answer one of those, if not all three of those questions. And so you ought to, when you approach this, and we're going to do this in a minute, we're going to ask and answer this question. What does it say about the kingdom? And what's good about the parable of the sower, what's really unique, actually, about the parable of the sower is a couple of verses later, Jesus actually answers all of those questions. He actually interprets the parable for his disciples. There's not another parable that he walks along. He's like, you, want to, you guys are confused about this. You want me to tell you what it means? He only does that with the parable of the sower. And so we're going to move through that and figure out what it is that Jesus has to say about the parable of the sower. Look at verse 18, Matthew 13, verse 18. We'll read through the whole explanation and then we'll uh, unpack it together. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes, choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for the one, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So Jesus gives us his explanation. So we ought to walk through this parable that this parable explanation that Jesus gives. So we're going to answer this who, this what, and this where that we started out in the beginning. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily explicitly describe the sower. But we can use context clues because you guys are smart. I know you haven't been in school but like one day, but you're going to make it. I know. So the sower is actually whoever it is that is speaking the words of the kingdom. Look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, well, in order for somebody to hear, that means somebody has to be what? Speaking, right. For, in order for somebody to hear, you have to have somebody speaking. So the, the sower is whoever it is that's speaking the words of the kingdom. In, that, in this case, it's Jesus. In other cases, it will be his disciples. And in our case... It's whoever it is among us that's speaking the words of Jesus. These words of the kingdom. We don't use that phrase very often. We can just think about it as the words of Jesus. The good news of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus. Right? So whoever is speaking the words of the kingdom, that's the sower in this story. Okay, well, the sower is in this field. He's sowing seed in this field. Well, What's the field? Jesus identifies the, the hearers as the field. Whoever it is that's hearing the words of the kingdom. And in that case, it's the crowd that is with Jesus. And in later cases, it's wherever the disciples are, right? They're going to go off to all the ends of the earth. Some are going to end up in the east and the west and all over the place. But whoever is hearing the words of the kingdom, well, those are, that's what the field represents. But even in that field, Jesus describes a bunch of different kinds of soil. And he says, these people that are hearing these words of the kingdom, they're like the field. But even in the field, there's a bunch of different kinds of soil in the field. And when you, when you speak words about Jesus and when you speak my words to these people, these people are all going to hear it differently. Not meaning they're going to hear different words, but they're going to receive it differently. Just like different soil receives the seed differently. You see, Jesus is painting this big picture. So the sower is the speaker of the words of God. The field are the people that are hearing. But among that, there's different soils. So let's describe these different soils according to what Jesus has to say. All right, look at verse 19. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Okay, so we don't farm very much. This is League City. We've got lots of concrete, not very many farms. So uh, let's just get this picture on our head. So imagine that you're a farmer. All right, you got the picture. Your overalls, boots, cowboy hats, straw coming out of your mouth, the whole deal. You ready? So you're a farmer and you've already like tilled these rows. If you don't know what tilling is, don't worry about it. You've dug these rows. So you dug these rows and you're like, okay, I got to put some seed down because in order to get crops, you have to plant seeds. That's how that works. I know, blowing your mind. So let's just imagine you have this whole like, like bag of seeds and you're just walking in your like rows that you have tilled and you're tossing seed into the rows. Inevitably, inevitably, seeds going everywhere. So some's going to get into the rows that you've tilled and some is not. In fact, there's going to be some, some seed that gets thrown along the path where a lot of people walk. You're not planting in the path because people walk there, right? And so Jesus describes these people that are hearing. They're like, they're like the, 
They're like the soil. It's actually the path. It's not actually soil. It's just a path. And the, the farmer tosses seed there. And you know what happens? Nothing grows. Because it's not in any soil at all. It takes no roots. And in fact, birds just come and eat it. And it, it, it does nothing. And then he, he describes later in verse 19, it's like the enemy comes and steals whatever was heard. And you know people like this. That they hear the words of God. They hear the gospel of Jesus. And they hear it. Like they hear you audibly, but they can't get there to understand it, right? And Jesus says, this is like the people that the seeds toss on the path. Jesus encountered these kind of people all the time with the religious leaders. There's a scene in Mark chapter two, where Jesus and his boys are walking along the way. And one of his disciples picks some wheat and he's like, man, I'm hungry. I'm glad this wheat is here. So I'm going to eat it. And the Pharisees are like, yo, bro, it's the Sabbath. You can't eat that. They freak out. It's a Sabbath. You can't work. You just picked grain. You worked. You worked. I saw you. I'm going to tell Jesus on you. So he does. He goes and tells Jesus like, hey, one of your disciples, like pick some wheat on the Sabbath. What are you going to do? Are you going to beat him up? Jesus is like, you guys, you're killing me. So he slows down. Jesus is like, look, man, wasn't the Sabbath made for man and not man for the Sabbath? And am I not the Lord of the Sabbath? And they're like, I don't He's like, okay, come over here, come over here. And then he gets to this other person, this guy with a withered hand. And Jesus comes over to this guy. And now Jesus is going to flip the script on him. Check this out in Mark chapter 3, 1 through 6. It's going to be on the screen. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. You see, they want to catch Jesus. They're like, ha, you don't follow the law, you liar. So look what it says. Verse three, and he said to the man with the withered hand, that's Jesus, come here. And he said to them, is it, he's, now Jesus is asking them the question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? So Jesus flips the question. He's like, oh, we're not talking about the Sabbath. You think, it's, you think it's good for me to heal this guy? You think it's good to save life or kill? He's like, oh, I don't know. What do you think, bud? I don't know. They don't want to get back to the corner. Jesus just backed him in a corner and he knows it. And they're like, well, if we answer kill, everybody's going to hate us. If we answer that, no, you shouldn't heal. Everybody's going to hate us. So check it out. Jesus asked that question. Here's their response. But they were silent. They didn't have an answer. Verse five. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel and the Herodians against them. How to destroy him. Did you catch Jesus's response? He asked them the question. They don't give him an answer. And Jesus gets frustrated. Why? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you're hearing me, but you're not really hearing me. Like, like, like I'm saying words and you're like, it's going through your brain, like into your ears, into your brain, and your brain's computing it as I'm speaking, but you're not getting what I'm doing. You're not really seeing who I am. And these are the people that the seeds just thrown along the path. They hear it, but they don't get it. And you're going to come across people like that. You're going to speak the words of God. You're going to speak the gospel to them and they will hear you. But no matter how passionate you are, they're not going to understand. Because it is God who grants salvation. It is God who gives ears to hear. How all that works, I don't know. But what I do know is there are going to be certain people that you come across, that you speak the words of God and you're like, you got to hear this, like the Holy Spirit is about to slay you. And you speak it and they're like, 
I got nothing, homie. My God, you're serious. Because there's, there's just people that hear the words of king, the kingdom like that. It happened to Jesus. It will happen to us. There's another soil. Look at verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the words and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You see, the second kind of soil is the soil like seed actually makes it in the soil, but the soil is rocky. It's not very deep. So it like it, it has like fast, fast growth. Like you see the green stuff immediately, but underneath the soil, no roots. And if you know anything about gardening where there is no root, there's not going to be any life. That's how that works. Right? And Jesus says, this is the person that hears the words of God. And they're like, yes, that's awesome. I want that. Yeah, Jesus. They're that person. You, you know this person. They're all about it. They're like, uh, yeah, th- they came to an event or they came to camp and they heard the gospel. I'm like, mm, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm never going to sin again, man. And then they leave and they're like, man, sin is fun. We're going to do that again. Really, they're the people that they're all on board for Jesus. They're like, yes, I want this. I, want th- I never want to get rid of this feeling. But the moment that following Jesus gets hard, they bail. The moment that they find out This whole following Jesus thing isn't about like my life being easy or me getting blessing on blessing all the time. They back out. Jesus found these people in John chapter six. Jesus is walking. He just he just fed five thousand people. That's a pretty big deal. Right. And so I would probably be this person. So I'm not accusing them. If I was one of the people that got fed amongst the five thousand, I would want to hang out around Jesus more. I'm like, yo, if you're passing out free meals, I'm going to be there, dude. Let's just keep doing this. So they're doing that. They're still following Jesus. And he's like, there's a lot of folks here. And we might think that's a really big deal, right? I mean, it's big crowds mean big ministry, mean good ministry. But Jesus, that's not how he rolls. He's like, let me just turn around and teach him for a second. So he stops and he teaches him. He's like, hey, I'm the bread of life. If you eat of me, you'll have life forever. Whoever, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, that's the only person that can have life with me. And they're like, gross. I don't want to do that. And they're like really confused and like, uh, like they're like nudging each other. Like, did he just say he wants us to eat his body? I don't understand. But, but moments ago, they're like, yeah, Jesus. Yes. But now Jesus has turned around and gave him a hard saying. And they're like, never mind, man. If you're not, not passing this out anymore, I'm out. So much so that it says this in John chapter six, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, what he said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my father. And he splits the crowd and a lot of people walk away that day. Because. They were all on board for Jesus as long as it was for their benefit. But the moment that it flipped, they were out. And some of you know those people. And even more than that, some of you are those people. That you're all good with Jesus having control of your life. And you following him as long as it means you're winning and you're benefiting from it. 
But the moment Jesus calls you to do something hard, the moment, the moment the words of God get up in your face and pull something away from you that you don't really want to give up, you bail. And your actions expose who you really are after and what you're really living for. This is like the soil that has rocky ground. And there's a third kind. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the words, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. These are the people that like identifying with Jesus as long as it means that Jesus doesn't get control of everything. They're all good. They're all good. Jesus, yes, take the wheel, except for not that wheel. You can have church. You can have, man, you can even have me not saying bad words to my parents. I'm down with that. That's fine. But you can't have what I do with my girlfriend or my boyfriend in the dark room at 12 o'clock at night. You can't. Nope. You don't go there. I go there. You don't go there. Jesus, you can't, ha- you can't have how I talk to my friends about my teacher behind her back. Jesus, you can't have what, how I speak to my teammates on my sports team. We're just boys, so it's just how it is. You know, it's the locker room. You just got to get over it, Jesus. But you know people like this, and maybe you are the person like this, that, yeah, Jesus, you can have control of everything except. The problem with that is, all over the Bible, Jesus is described as the Lord. You don't give the Lord control of a little bit. You give the Lord control of everything. He gets all of it, or you're giving him none of it. That's how that works. There's this, there's this story in uh, Mark chapter 10. It's actually a scene in Mark chapter 10. This guy comes up to Jesus. He's described as a rich young man. And he's like, Rabbi, Rabbi, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's jacked up. He's like, yo, yo, Jesus, you're the man. I think you're God. Like, can we do this? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's like, follow the commandments. You know them. Don't steal, don't murder. Honor your mom and dad. He's like, I'm crushing those, dude. So am I in? He goes, look, look at this. Look at this. In uh, Mark chapter 10, 21 through 22. And looking at him, Jesus looks at the, the rich young man and looking at him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The guy was all jacked up. He was like, yes, 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 Jesus, I'm on. Let's do this. He was all in for Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, give me your money. He's like, uh-uh. I don't want to do that, dude. And he walked away. Sad. He missed out on following the Messiah because he refused to give Jesus control of everything. And so many of us are those people that we hear the words of God and we hear the message of Jesus and you're like, yes, I'm in on that. And you hear, you hear things like in Romans where it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You hear that in Romans 10, 9? You're like, yes, okay. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? Control of everything? No. Because you see, in our sinfulness, we want to keep certain stuff. In our sinfulness, we want to keep little dark parts of our heart that we can just feast on in the dark and think nobody else sees. But if God is God, God sees all of it. And really, we're scared to give God control because we're afraid he's not going to know it better than we are. We don't want to give God control of how we treat our girlfriend or what we do with our girlfriend in the dark, what we do with our boyfriend in the dark, or how we speak to people. We don't want to give God control of those things because we don't think God's way is actually best. We think God's actually kind of like 
he's just really too conservative. His rules are too hard and they're kind of old and dumb. And so when we're the people who refuse to give God control of everything, what you're really saying is, Jesus, I don't, I don't actually think you know how to live life better than I do. Now, we'd never say that. And when you hear it, you're like, oh, but that's how we're living. We can't be the soil that receives the seed, but grows up among the thorns and it just gets choked out by all the cares of the world. Jesus is either Lord or he's not. He either gets control or he doesn't. The Bible seems to paint Jesus in this picture that he is Lord. I'm going to believe that. And I'm going to give him control of stuff. And listen to me. It will be uncomfortable. It will be. He just asked this cat to give up all his money. I'm not saying he's doing every, asking everybody to do that. But he asked that guy. So I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that means God will call you to. But inevitably, God will call you to something uncomfortable. But if he is God. He knows best. And what will be uncomfortable will, one, be for God's glory, and it will be for your good. It will be for your good. The last soil we see in verse 23. As for, the, for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. These are the people who hear the words of God and they understand. Did you catch that? They hear it and they understand. This is the first person that's described as understanding. They hear the words and they understand. Because you see, hearing without understanding, hearing without action doesn't get you anywhere. That gets you just like the Pharisees who heard and walked away and were angry. But if you hear and you understand, understanding brings action. And what did I say at the beginning? Action actually exposes who you're devoted to. Action actually exposes the real you. Because you can talk all day long about how devoted you are to Jesus, but your life will tell on you. The way you live will tell on you. And I'm not saying you've got to crush it. I'm not saying you're never going to fail. That's not what I'm saying. You, you see what it says in verse 23. He said, listen, seed sown on good soil, it bears fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. What does that mean? It means that some bear fruit a lot faster than others. But what are they all doing? They're all bearing fruit. So I'm not saying you're going to be the one at 16 that's like mom and dad. I'm going to go ahead and drop out of high school, go to Africa and save everybody there. You may not be that person. But you might be the person that's just really faithful day in and day out. You open up the Bible and you're desperate to hear God and you're sharing the gospel with your friends. And maybe you see, maybe you see one or two people every other year come to faith because you're just loving them and walking with them. Are you any different? No. Some bear fruit a hundredfold, some bear it sixtyfold, some bear it thirtyfold, but you're bearing fruit and that's what we're after. You see, if we're in good soil, if we're the good soil that's receiving those words, we're bearing fruit for God's kingdom. That's action. Action is telling of who we're devoted to. Action is telling of what kind of soil we are. Action is telling of how we're receiving God's words and whether we believe them or not. So the last question is this. What on earth does this have to do with us? First thing is this. 
If you're in here and you would say, I'm a Christian, then you're a seed sower. If you're in here and you say, I'm a Christian, then you're a seed sower. You're the, you're the person pictured in Matthew 13, 1 through 9. It's toss and seed, meaning you should be the person that's speaking the words of the kingdom to other people. That means sharing the gospel with other people. If you're a Christian, that's a responsibility that you carry to share the words of the kingdom to other people. And here's why it's helpful for us. This parable should be helpful. Because as you speak the words of the kingdom to other people, you'll know everybody's going to receive it differently. Some people are going to be like the path. Some people are going to be like rocky soil. Some people are going to be like soil that there's thorns growing up. And some people are going to be good soil. You know what that should do for you? Give you a whole lot of freedom. Because none of the growth is on you, is it? In this parable, the sower is not given the credit for the growth. He's given credit for the sowing. So your responsibility is to speak the words of the kingdom, not to save people, not to fix people, but to speak the words of the kingdom and trust that the spirit of God is the one who brings the growth. And then if it's good soil, if they're the kind of people that are, they're, they're, they're after what Jesus is after, they will hear and understand and God gives them that understanding. You don't, you don't save them, but you speak. So you should speak. You have a responsibility to speak. Second thing. Each one of you are one of these soils. Each one of you are one of these soils. Maybe you're the path. Maybe you're the rocky ground. Maybe you're amongst thorns. Maybe you're good soil. I don't know. But each one of you that hears the words of God are one of these soils. And the natural question on the backside is, well, how do I know which one I am? How do I know which one I am? Well, Let's look back at verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is one who hears the words and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. You know what soil you are by the fruit that you bear. You know what soil you are by what fruit you bear. Now, let's just put that into like non-agriculture language. Do you know what kind of person you are that's described here? By the way that you live your life. Well, what's fruit? Or what kind of fruit are we talking about? Like, what, how does the Bible describe fruit? Matthew 3 says this. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Meaning, bear fruit that, that is in accordance with, that makes sense with, that you actually follow Jesus. If you say, I follow Jesus, the way that your life should be lived is in accordance with that statement. Galatians chapter 5 gives us a fairly good picture of what kind of fruit God is after. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Are those the only fruits that we can bear? No, they're not. But they're a good place to start. And so if you're listening to that list and you're thinking, I have none of those things, that's a problem. If you're thinking, well, okay, what what does fruit actually look like? Here's an even simpler way to think about it. Good fruit looks a lot like Jesus. It looks a lot like Jesus. And the only way that we know what Jesus looks like is to open the Bible and read it and figure out how did he live? What did he say? How did he treat people? How did he engage with God? Because really what we're after is for our life to look a lot more like Jesus' life. 
And every one of you are one of these soils. And it's proven by the life that you live. Your actions will tell on you. Your actions will tell on you. Last thing. Believers, you should set yourself up to produce fruit. You should set yourself up to produce fruit. Here's what I mean. Prep the soil. Let me use an agriculture reference. Prep the soil. So how do we do that spiritually? We read the scriptures. We're a part of a community. We, are, we serve on mission. Not necessarily on an like, official mission trip, but we just serve on mission where we are. We love people like Jesus would love people. We go after the outcast. We spend time in prayer. We worship together as the people of God. You know what that's doing? It's preparing the soil. Because when you do those things, God bears fruit in you. You're not reading the Bible because somebody was like, you know what? We should put this long book together and hope people read it. That's not what we're doing. We believe these are actually the words of God. Like, not like something weird, but like when we read it, God speaks. If that's the reality that we're in, we should want to read it. As we read it, we hear and we're changed and we bear fruit. If we actually believe that when we pray, God hears it. Like like the God of the universe hears my voice and responds. That's wild. And if we grabbed that reality and it really sunk into our hearts, we wouldn't stop talking. And when we do that, God bears fruit in our life. And you should be a part of a community, meaning you should have friends in your life that you're consistently around that are Christians that will sharpen you and point you to Jesus. I'm telling you, as somebody who has walked where you walk, there will be nothing more valuable to you than somebody to hold your arms up that's pointing you to Christ when it gets hard. Because the last thing you need is some moronic kid around you, some 15-year-old who thinks that you think is giving you good advice but isn't. Not pointing you to Jesus. No, you need people that will turn your eyes to Jesus all of the time. That will lovingly call you out and say, is that really best? That will challenge you and pull you into what God desires. And you should be a part of a community. So if So if you're not a part of a small group here or somewhere else, do it tomorrow. Make sure that you get plugged in somewhere because you need it. And as you do that, it's preparing soil to bear fruit in your life. So we should listen to the parable of the sower. Because you know what? It doesn't doesn't tell us what the kingdom's like. It doesn't tell us what the king is like. It doesn't even tell us, it doesn't even tell us what, how we ought to live in the kingdom. It tells us something before that. It tells us how people are going to hear the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom that you carry in your mouth. The message that could change somebody's life tomorrow if you spoke it to them. I heard a teenager say this not too long ago, and I was like, I'm stealing that, thanks. When you speak the words of God to somebody, the gospel to somebody, you have nothing to lose and they have everything to gain. That'll preach. I mean, you just hold on to that forever. You take that to them and you watch God do what only God can do. But let's be people who are faithful to carry that message.